Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. My name is Matt Hudson from What I Watch Tonight, and joining me from across the pond as ever, he's a statesman to my Kingsman, and a bloody good fellow too, it's John Burke from BurkeRefuse.com. How are you, my friend? I am doing quite well, Matt. It's a little chilly here over in Florida for a change, and that's a good hmm. thing. Hmm. He says sipping his tea because it's very cold over here in the UK. It always, when isn't it? We get a few weeks of summer and then it's back to just gloominess, but uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. That's a lie. Uh, how, is, how, how, how are you anyway? How's work? How is it? How's all the other stuff surrounding the book life? Well, you know, I live in a state where our uh, governor basically said that uh, people who were saying that, um, edu- you know, like the safety of like schools were at risk are equal to flat earthers. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's great to be a teacher in the state of Florida where our governor respects what we do and doesn't want to risk our lives in any kind of way. So, yeah, doing well. Yeah, the governor aside, all good. Yeah, I'm good to hear, my friend. And um, we've moved into December now. So if anyone hasn't checked their calendars, it is December now, which only means one thing. Christmas is on its way. So on the BAMP this week, uh, oh, firstly, for those new to the show, we take a film, we talk about it. Generally non-spoiler, but JP's going to mention that in a minute. We just give our thoughts and opinions on it. And it's usually the big release of the week or what we consider to be the most interesting, or in these COVID times, it's usually a Netflix release. And that's no different this week. And I mentioned Christmas. We're jumping in with a review of The Christmas Chronicles 2, uh, directed by John's favourite director, Chris Columbus, who also wrote this along with Matt Lieberman. And it stars, yeah, Kurt Russell as Santa Claus, Goldie Horn as Mrs. Claus, yes! Darby Camp, Julian Dennison, and Jazir Bruno, and the synopsis reads, Kate Pierce, which is Darby Camp, now a cynical teen, is unexpectedly reunited with Santa Claus when a mysterious troublemaker threatens to cancel Christmas forever. How did it do critically? 51 Metascore, uh, 69% on Rotten Tomatoes, and the IMDb user score 6.2. And if you want to watch it, you can do it all around the world, just like Santa Claus himself. It's available all around the world on Netflix. And of course, it's a follow-up to 2018's The Christmas Carol, which also had Kurt Russell as Sexy Sansa, and a very quick cameo at the end as Mrs. Claus. But before we dive into our thoughts on the film, John wanted to talk about the spoiler warning, didn't you? Um, No, I mean, all I said was that this is a movie that I would be willing to just like blabber on about with spoilers. I'm not saying we should, because it is is literally a brand new film. It just dropped last week. Um, we do have to give a little bit of a warning though, because this is a sequel. And if you haven't seen the first Christmas Chronicle, you shouldn't listen to a review of Christmas Chronicle too, because some of the plot might be given. However, let's be real here. We're not at this movie for the plot. Like the plot's just there to give us something to, to, to grab onto and move forward. We are here for the man himself, Kurt Russell as oh, Santa. Man. That's honestly the best part of both of those movies. Um, so, we won't spoil it, but again, I think the the idea of spoilers is so subjective. There are some things that we have to talk about that might mm-hmm. reveal plot elements. 
um, like Julian Dennison's role, for example. Uh, yeah, I didn't know what he was going into this movie. Um, I think there's going to have to be a little talk about his character. We don't have to go into all the detail, but it might reveal little little parts of the plot, I guess, to be safe. Uh, if you're wanting to be completely unsullied, don't listen to this yet. Um, that said, we will avoid any major spoilers to the plot in case that is why you're watching this movie. Yes, we will avoid the fact that Santa Claus is in this film. Ah, I've gone and said it. Sorry, guys. But yeah, if you are uh, obviously MCU Star Wars level spoiler phobic, a bit like me, then obviously shut down your ears, go and watch the film. It's an hour and 55 minutes long, which is a little long. It's a little uh, long. And, and watch, uh, listen to what we have to say. But um, so up top, my initial kind of one line review is it's nice. It's sweeter than a, a vat of marshmallows. And it certainly isn't a bad movie, but it's too long. And it wasn't as appealing as the first one to me. I really dug the first one. I really did enjoy the first one. It had something about it. It was set in uh, Massachusetts. Uh, so it felt a little bit more grounded. Whereas this one, set in the North Pole for a lot of the story. And Cancun as well for a little bit. Um, and it's and we mentioned Julian Dennison. He, was, uh, he plays a mischievous elf who has plans of his own to expand his own Christmas brand. Um, it's very Chris Columbus-y. Do you know what I mean? It's it goes out there. It's a gets to, it's a CGI spectacle at times. There's some fun moments. The kids are going to dig this, which is what it's all about. But saying that, I really enjoyed the first one, and I can't really pass as a kid anymore. Um, so there's that's how I'm looking at it. Is, is the fir- the first film wasn't a purely a kids film. It's a family film. It's got got it's got Kurt Russell. God damn it, as Santa. I'm in. And so I really enjoyed that one because it had something about it. It had a charm to it. There was something about it which just worked. It felt right and it got me in the Christmas feel. This one, it didn't really hit me that way. It felt a lot it felt a bit more kid friendly than family friendly. I know that may sound a bit odd to say, but it is very much more aimed at the youngsters, which isn't a bad thing whatsoever. I like an awful lot of kids' films, but uh it it, it got a bit overblown and had a bit of sequelitis for me the whole bigger equals better type thing. Uh, not all, not all of the acting is particularly wonderful throughout from the younger members of cast. And I think it's only fair to judge everybody equally on this. And some of the, some of the acting by the kids is good. Other times it isn't, uh, I guess when you're acting alongside Kurt Russell and Goldie Horn, then, uh, you know, you've got to be, you've got to be on top of your game to hold a candle, but, those two are fine. They're good. I mean, they're very enjoyable. Kurt, uh, you want you want to see more Kurt Russell as Santa Claus. That's what I'm here for. And mm-hmm. I think that's what a lot of people are here for. That's what we want. Goldie Horn as Mrs. Claus gets more than just a cameo at the end. She's uh, She has a more prominent role in this film. And she's very sweet in this film. It's less comedy, more drama. But um, the story, the story's what you expect. You know, family needs to heal itself before Christmas. And, you know, they may have to save Christmas, discover its true meaning before that can become a possibility. but um, So I didn't mind this film. I quite I liked it, but I did much prefer the first film. So, John, did you like this film? And secondly, are we actually? do you reckon we're going to get a third film? Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, if, if Kurt and Goldie are enjoying this, I don't see why they don't do a third one. Um, mm-hmm. They look I, like they were. They, they do, and that's the thing. I love Kurt anyways, but I love him as Santa Claus. Um, the thing this movie did give me was the, uh, like the range that he can pull because he, for the most part, this Santa is jolly and happy, which yeah. 
he was a little more angstful when we first meet him in the first movie. Um, there's a whole like, you know, thing about the kids. This one, he's, he's happy from the get go, but there's a moment where he has to turn into the action Kurt Russell and he can do it on a dime. Like it's so seamless. Like Santa is like one of the most warm heart welcoming Santa Claus is on screen, in my opinion, at the beginning of this movie. And then there's this action sequence late in the film where he turns into Kurt Russell, the action star. And I just love that he can do that. And I believe both. Like, I don't question it for a minute. I'm just like, yep, that's Santa. Um, I, I love Kurt. I think he makes mm-hmm. this movie all the way around. Um, I had issues with both films. Uh, I actually thought Darby Camp in the first movie was a little obnoxious and didn't enjoy her in that film very much at all. And Judah Lewis, who is in, uh, we reviewed recently, um, the babysitter part two, I think was what it was called, or maybe there was another name to it. Um, but, uh, he's in the two babysitter movies. I, I am lukewarm on him. I thought he was okay in the first movie from what I remember, at least. Um, I thought Darby was much better in this film. And this is the second film we're reviewing with Jazir Bruno in in the lead in like two months because he's in Witches. Yes, um, I knew I recognized him from somewhere. Yeah, and so this, like, he he's got talent. I don't think he's a bad actor. He's clearly reading lines, and that's where I think the biggest weakness of this film is. The dialogue is a is written in a way that they don't think a kid will understand what they're supposed to take away from this movie unless the characters explicitly state what's happening. And Jazir Bruno's character is given so much unnecessary expositional questioning. Like he's constantly repeating things to make sure he understands, but he clearly, he's a smart kid. The character is painted as a smart kid, yet he's constantly like, wait a minute, you saying this? And it's like, oh, come on, guys, this is bad dialogue. Like the kids get it. It's not a, it's not a complex movie here. Have a little faith that they can put together what's happening without a character needing to say it 20,000 times. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that was one of my biggest pet peeves. Um, there's some parts that are definitely very saccharine. Uh, Goldie Hawn's Mrs. Claus is great, but there are some moments where it's like overly family friendly kind of stuff that happens. That's a little obnoxious. And I am concerned for the career of Julian Dennison. Um, you know, he came, he came into my world through Hunt for the Wilder People, the Taika Waititi mm-hmm. film with Sam Neill. Love that movie so, so much. And he plays a kind of angstful teen who is troublemaker, but not a bad kid, but often misunderstood. We don't really see him again until Deadpool 2, where he plays a troublemaking kid who's a little misunderstood and has powers and shoots fire. This is, to my knowledge, his third big project. And he plays a misunderstood elf who is not really a bad kid, but is often misunderstood. It's like, oh, God, this kid's getting typecast. And he is growing out of it so fast. I don't know if you notice how deep his voice has gotten since Deadpool 2. Yeah, I, there was a few times I noticed where he was he was he was trying to come across as a bit more of a petulant youngster, but it didn't quite work. Yeah, he he's already outgrown that typecasting, and he, I think he's got talent, but I think he's been like pigeonholed real hard because of how he broke into the scene. Because his character in Deadpool Two is almost essentially what if the kid from Hunt for the Wilder People had mutant powers, you know? And yeah. Uh, yeah. that's this movie's like, hey, what if the kid from Hunt for the Wilder People was an elf who was angry? It's like, oh, Jesus, really? Um, you know, it's it's not bad. It's just like I, I worry for his his career because he's going to get pigeonholed, I think, um, or yeah. has already been. But um, and you do have some other cameos in this movie. Uh, Judah Lewis is just barely in it. He like popped in, I guess, maybe between filmings of Babysitter uh, 2 mm-hmm. or whatever, just to say hi. And then uh, Tyrese Gibson, who... Uh, oh man, I I want to like five. Tyrese. 
but I tend to think he is real bad. And he actually has a touching moment towards the end that surprised me. Um, but the earlier stuff, there's a part where he goes, uh, what did I do to make her not like me? And I was like, too fast, too furious. And, uh, (laughs) yeah, slamming the rock. That's what he did. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, okay, fine. He's in here. Um, but he's not in it much. Our, our main cast is the ones we, we listed earlier. Um, there is uh, Chris Columbus, you know, famously directed Home Alone, um, mm-hmm. you know, the first two Harry Potter films. Uh, he's not a great director. He he does some things well. He does some other things bad. He does tend to make things a little long, I think. Um, yeah. Yes. And this is that is definitely a big criticism of this film. I, even when I went to start it, I was thinking, all right, this will probably be about 90 minutes. And I was like, now we're in 55 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I was dreading. I knew it was going to drag. There was going to be a part in the film that just feels unnecessary. And there is um, for sure. It, it's like this stretches out. Um, they have this sequence where they uh, there's like a, a bunch of volumes of guess what? The Christmas Chronicles which are apparently books that chronicle all the Christmases. And by coincidence, the one they pick out informs us of the plot. It's very, you know, it's things like that. They're just like, come on, guys, there's got to be a, mm-hmm. a cleaner way, a less sweaty way to give information to the audience without it feeling so generic. Um, but there's a lot of fun things. There's some cool set pieces. I actually really liked uh, the non-plot parts of this movie the most, like when they were just exploring their version of the North pole. I thought mm-hmm. that was great. Cause I love that kind of Christmas stuff. I love the Christmas world building. I am a sucker for Christmas movies, which we, I think Matt, what, what are you a Christmas movie guy? Do you tend to not like them? Um, I'm a Christmas guy for sure. I love the festive season, Christmas movies, uh, yes, I I know you like the Hallmark ones. I oh, I I'm willing to fair. give a lot of Christmas films a pass because they usually make me feel good. I I am one. I don't like the Hallmark ones. That's my wife. I just want to point that out, <laughs> listener. Um, it's not to say there aren't a couple that I I secretly tolerate more than others. Most of them I can't stand. Um, <laughs> but I am I I will almost inherently give a Christmas movie an extra bump in the star rating. Right? Like it's just because I love the sappiness yeah. that Christmas can bring out in me. Um, it makes me feel good. It's often, you know, even the, some of the bad Christmas movies I tend to like, not all of them. Like I, one, I'm not a big Matthew Broderick fan, so I don't like deck the halls. Um, I don't, I, I don't like Christmas with the cranks. Like those, those are not for me, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of movies that people would say aren't good that I adore the home alone movies. For example, some people really don't like, I've loved those since I was a kid. I've watched them probably every year. I've seen Elf. I can't tell you how many times. Literally, the number of times I've seen A Christmas Story has to be in the insane number. Like, there has to be over 100 times. Because I will literally put it on Christmas Eve and just leave it on the TV all night. Because it's 24 hours here. And I love that movie. I adore it. I've watched it like that for at least 20 years. So, I have seen that movie. I can't even tell you. So, Christmas movies do work for me. They get a little a little boost. If they make me feel Christmassy, if they make me uh, feel warm and fuzzy, um, and this movie did, it brought some tears. I'm not going to lie. I am, I'm extra sappy uh, this year, especially. <laughs> um, so I, overall, I, I found this to be very entertaining, um, a little long winded, but enough here to make me uh, content to watch it. Um, I don't know. I haven't rewatched. I didn't realize the first one was two years until we were, I was watching this one. Um, and so I, I haven't rewatched it since the first time, but I really like Kurt Russell's Santa. So I may, I may try to make this like maybe next year, watch back to back the, the one and two and see if it holds up or not. But from this viewing, I thought it was fun. I thought Kurt Russell again is my Santa Claus now. Like it used to be, you know, um, 
Um, I wait. I can't even think of which Santa I think is the best looking Santa. I do like Tim Allen Santa in the first Santa Claus. Santa Claus, yeah. And I do want to give this movie credit because, in a lot of ways, this movie tries to do what Santa Claus Two, I think. Which one has Martin Short? Is it the second one or the third? That's one? the second one. Yeah, that one's brutal. Um, because they introduce that that whenever you try to make Santa have like a nemesis, it doesn't work to me. Like it, it feels, it always feels super generic. Um, they try to do it in Fred Claus with Kevin Spacey's character. And, uh, this movie does it with Julian Dennison's character and this, uh, Bell Snickle, which is the worst name. Um, and it's like, it, it works better here, but it's, it also becomes really long winded because th- there's a confrontation that happens early. Um, that, feels like it should be the end of the movie and it's not it's just like setting up more plot you know and yeah yeah uh, yeah, yeah and that's what this always seems to happen is like there's just this it doesn't work because it's santa man like the conflict needs to be more organic um i think the first movie I, which i can't quite recall but he lost something right like the reindeer's not working or something like that and the they lost their christmas spirit didn't they? right yeah which is that's the, kind of the premise of elf as well like that's part mm-hmm. of the plot of elf and that that works. That's more believable because it's not Santa versus a person. It's Santa versus like the belief of Santa. And that's existential and it clicks. I, obviously, you don't want to have that completely, although that does come back to, to play a factor in this movie. Um, something you said, that sequelitis. Uh, yep. But uh, I did notice one thing, though. Columbus directs Home Alone. There's a scene in Home Alone where Kevin goes to buy a toothbrush. Yes. And he ends uh, yeah. up. Stealing the toothbrush, right? There's a scene in this movie that is almost like verbatim the lines from that scene. And I'm like, that's got to be Columbus, like, nodding to himself. Like, ha-ha, I see you there to Columbus. Patting himself on the back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I hadn't. Do you know what? I hadn't actually put two and two together in that. But now you say it, I mean, obviously, how certain things play out are slightly different. But, it, I mean, that when you put it like that... It does look like he's he's looking at himself in the mirror, winking, kind of doing the gun fingers, and be like, "The kids are gonna love, or the the the, 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 the adults are gonna love this." And mm. um, I didn't really, but <laughs> that's offset as well by a the film's musical number, whereas the first film had like a jailhouse oh, yeah. rock kind of number, which was pretty good. I love Kurt that Russell one. singing. This is the same as Kurt Russell and a ticket officer having a having a big old saxophone led sing song. And it's fun. I can't lie. It's a lot of fun because, as we mentioned up top, you can see that Kurt Russell is just having a ball. He knows what he knows what film he's in, and he's going to have a damn good time doing it. And you can tell he is in that um, particular scene, and it's it's fine. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 pretty. It's good. Which is the same as the film. Like it's just fine. It's good. And the more I think about Julian Dennison, like you say, the more he just felt it just didn't feel right. He didn't feel like a villain. He just felt more like a pain in the backside really mm-hmm. didn't they? kind of just felt like the the well like he was just a rebellious um elf rather than somebody who was actually going to cause real damage with intent it just felt like a bit of a bully um yeah and i, I wasn't a fan of the 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 elves in the film in general oh, i'm not a fan of those i just, just just they look cute but i don't know man it's just it just went on they were in it for too much and they really were at odds with the human characters. And yes, they're elves. They're not real. I get it. And they're CG, but I don't know, man. And then there was a, there's little subplots with like Dasher and what's going to happen with Dasher and this massive like mountain puma running around and the kids having to 
eat cookies to get courage and that. There's an awful lot going on and it got a bit convoluted. It's just too long, man. The first film was an hour and 44 minutes. I checked that. That was only 10 minutes shorter. Uh, and obviously take the credits on and off and whatnot now. But so the first film kind of ran the risk of, you know, being five minutes too long. This was about 15 minutes too long for me. It really, it really wasn't. Um, I mean, I'm not going to pinpoint what could have taken out again for risk of spoilers, but there was a few scenes and sequences which you could take out and, or at least shorten at the very least short, even the song and dance, you could shorten that and just shave a minute or two here and then just get the, the film zipping along because it has a really strange pace where at times it is, you know, it moves at really quick pace and it slows, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a natural slowing down. It's like somebody will read a story. And it's like, well, Jesus, where are we going from here? And then it'll pick up with someone else going and I'll be back off again. Kind of didn't really quite know what tone it wanted um, in terms of who it was aimed at. And also just the pacing was really odd for me as well. But in any film, we've got Kurt Russell and Goldie Horn in and you don't use them together quite as well as you could have done. Is So I think, I mean, we covered Overboard or at least we mentioned, we, I think we, we, we covered the remake of that about two years yeah. ago on BAMP. I don't know if this was a, if they've been in a film since that together. That's like 80, 86, 87. I mean, it's like the first time you get them in a film together. You want to want to use them a bit more. But I liked them to I liked them together when they were. I thought Goldie Hall was um, I thought she was lovely as the the kind, caring Mrs. Claus, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously how they go about the Santa Claus village. That was quite fun. Kurt Russell was rock and roll Santa. The kids were fine. The story is everything you could expect. It's too long. But, but I, I, to be fair, though, actually, my last thing on that was it is the kids are going to love it because there's a lot of jokes in there that kids will enjoy. But it's still almost two hours long. And if I was to sit down with my four year old, four and a half year old, she, I don't she's not going to sit down and watch this for the whole thing. She'll love the she'll love the, the elves and she'll love some of the jokes, but she's not going to sit down for nearly two hours. I mean, I, the 10 year old might, but. Even then, I could see her nodding off a little bit during it. So I'd be interested to give it the litmus test with the youngsters in the room. But um, as a fully grown adult youngster, I thought it was fine. Yeah. Um, that's And that's really all I expect from this. Like, I don't expect this to be, like, mind-blowing or anything. Um, I do. I, I, I don't know that it's... Like, some Christmas movies hit real hard. Like, even movies that I think are, are weird. Like, Polar Express... Um, I just listened to the Blank Check podcast about Polar Express, and mm-hmm. they ripped it up pretty good. Uh, is that and Columbus film too? No, that's a Zemeckis film. Um, but did he, has he got something to do with that film, though? I mean, he's a producer, so probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah. um, I, I like Polar Express. I, I do think it looks weird. Uh, it was new with the motion cap technology. And some of the points that they make definitely hold true, but that movie hits me oddly emotionally. And every time, like... You know, the idea of it um, clicks with me. And I think that is true of a lot of things. Um, when it comes to Christmas movies for me, um, like It's a Wonderful Life, which I will argue is not just a Christmas movie, but nonetheless, it's, a bloody good movie. it's one of my favorite like films, period. And uh, Elf, again, same. I, I, I just, I go to these and they, they are strong emotional ties for me in a lot of ways this movie doesn't have that really like again there's still some sappy stuff in it but um i i part of me always longs for like the innocence of of a child believing in santa right like that there's this pure like faith and granted we're, we kind of believe because we want presents 
but there's something like magic and, and compelling about the character that as a kid, you just, you lose that at some point. Right. And I, I always kind of long for that, like commitment to something. So, so, uh, whimsical and also the possibility of magic, right? Like that there, there could be something so splendid and wonderful. Um, that's generally, as you get older, you, st- you don't believe in that. And so movies like that will hit, hit And I think that's what w- it happened at one point in this movie. It wasn't as immediate as it is with some other ones, but I was like, Oh man, you know, there it is. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I always like the surrogate family thing is a, is a, one I always bring up like this idea of this is um, the first movie is a single mom and two kids. Uh, the dad, I think the, I think the dad passed away, but I don't remember how. Um, and this movie is now her uh, mom's boyfriend is like starting, it's getting serious. And that, that works for me in this movie that the family kind of comes together. Granted, it doesn't really, it doesn't fully make any sense, but mm-hmm. just that it happens. I don't necessarily need it to make sense for it to click on an emotional level for me because I, you know, families are not just blood. And and when a movie is successful at making me kind of buy into this family coming together, it works. And so, you know, again, I'm admittedly a sap when it comes to stuff like that. So nothing wrong with that, my friend. No, it's, uh, I, I took my youngest to school this morning. And, uh, one of the houses around the corner outside, they've got an inflatable Santa and it, and the last two days she's seen it. She just, a face beams up and just, you know, big Santa, she'll scream. And um, on the uh, Alexa app, I don't want to say it too loudly. Uh, you ask, if you ask for a Christmas countdown, that she'll give it. And then she'll ask if you want to speak to Santa Claus. And uh, I, we did that today. And just to see like the wonder in her eyes when, you know, Santa Claus was talking back to her. And when she was, when she responded with a yes or a no, obviously it would then recalibrate with a, with the correct answer. And, you sat gone. I said that childlike wonder, and that's something I, that that was I that happened before I watched this film. So there are points during this film when I was also thinking, you know, you've only got a few years really where this that kind of childlike wonder is around. You kind of got to harness it, and then of course they get a little bit older. They may not believe in Santa Claus anymore, but the magic of Christmas still exists. But it's those kind of few years where they when they when they believe in Santa Claus and the magic is real and. You know, Christmas films have to go try very hard to not harness that. And the Christmas Chronicles too did did have that. I mean, there there is that element of you know the wonder of Christmas in there. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, I would they have to be really really hard not to. But I just I preferred the first one. But but I know what you mean though, dude. There is the end of the film is going to get some people. It's set up that way, but it is going to get some people. And it's, and it's a nice moment at the end of the film. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's on, like I said, it's on Netflix. Everybody in the world can see it now. It, it, there are a lot worse films to watch uh, before Christmas than this one. Agreed. So uh, Christmas Chronicles 2 from us. We think it's okay. I think I'm going to agree with all of the um, critic scores we gave at the top there. So, Which I do want to point out, though, with the critic scores. This is not anything extra, but we reviewed uh, Hillbilly Elegy last week, which is a Ron Howard yes. film with Glenn Close and Amy Adams clearly oscar bait has a 26 i think rotten tomato score this movie has a 63 i'm just saying like there's there's worse yeah. things that have come out on netflix based on critic acclaim um and and we liked hillbilly elegy more than that i liked it more than the 23 percent rt yeah. right um, um but, i think i said i'd give it at least like 50 percent at least yeah and that's where like this one 
I think is, is a, a, again, different movies, different functions completely for sure. I'm not comparing them in that way, oh, but sure. no, no, yeah. Um, just that it is kind of funny, um, because I think the, the meta score was similar, but the Rotten Tomato score was way worse for, uh, and I think I'm also kind of just pointing out the flaw. If we only use the critical ad- aggregates as our judgment of a film, yeah, it's not know, always, absolutely. not always accurate. So. No, yeah, absolutely. And I really dug the first Christmas Chronicle. And off the top of my head, I think that's got a 70% on RT. So 1% difference. So, you know, what do the critics know anyway? So, um, yeah, I, yeah, spot on, uh, JB as ever. So let's move on now to our next segment, which we like to call Chuffed Headlines. Uh, it's movie or pop culture news that caught our attention for any sort of multitude of reasons since our last episode. So, uh, JB, what are you running with this week? Well, so I woke up uh, and I listened to a news podcast daily, Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- one of the, the topics was that people were mad about uh, Spider-Man being allowed to film at an Atlanta high school. And this is a thing that hits mm-hmm. close to home to me because of my um, being a high school teacher. And yep. uh, my school has been open um, pretty much. Uh, we are a hybrid school. So half of our, not normally since the pandemic, we're a hybrid school. Um, where half of our student population is only online. Um, then the remaining half um, is split into two groups, some that are sometimes on campus and sometimes online and some that are always on campus. So that's about half of that half. Um, so my student population is around 1,500 students. So when we're saying there's probably about 300 students that are every single day there on campus, then there's about 250, 250 to like 300 that are sometimes on campus, sometimes off. They alternate weeks depending on their designation. And then the other 700 or so are online all the time because of the pandemic. Yeah. Now, we have had very few outbreaks of of COVID on campus, but we have had never once a full classroom of students, right? Like not once um, have we had the normal like 25 to 30 students that we would have in a normal setting uh we've always had no more than 12 in a classroom um we've taken tons of precautions to limits uh social distancing they have to wear masks we've done everything in our power to try to prevent the spread during the school day Mm -hmm. that said we have still had outbreaks we had to cancel classes completely like a whole a whole day was made online because we had so many teachers out and not enough subs now, fortunately, all those teachers were out, uh, either didn't test positive or those who might have tested positive ended up, um, having very mild symptoms. But we have had a couple mm-hmm. of teachers who had some severe symptoms and luckily recovered. But point being is it's real, folks. It's a real thing happening worldwide. It's very real. And what upsets me is that parents aren't mad that Spider-Man is filming at the high school as much as they're mad that the school is closed and has not been allowed to have anyone on campus since March. And so, like, there's a tweet that is quoted in the article from the Washington Post. Uh, Too bad kids don't generate the millions of a movie does or they'd be back in front of their teacher in a classroom rather than on a computer screen. And it's like, you're missing the point. Gee, the people who yeah. work on the movie are choosing to work on the movie. That is a active choice. And now I don't know what uh, precautions the film studios are, are using in Atlanta. I know in Hollywood, the the precautions are nuts and it's making it almost impossible to shoot anything. And I'm not criticizing over here, man. Yeah. I'm not criticizing that. I'm just pointing out that I know they're taking extreme precautions. So one, that quote is so frustrating to me as the teacher because teachers 
uh, if the school district isn't supporting the teachers, we don't have a lot of control over what happens as far as like who comes on campus. And we don't want, we didn't sign up to teach online, but we also didn't sign up to get sick. We're not doctors. We don't work with ill patients all the time. And what we do work with is kids who are sent to school despite having a fever because their parents want them to go to school or who are sent to school because they don't have a babysitter and they don't want their kid to be left home alone. And now we're in a situation where that kid could be spreading a disease. And I have had to listen to several people, uh, reporters, governors, et cetera, who say, oh, well, schools are not the hotspot or the hotbed that we thought they would be. Um, for the virus. And it's like, yeah, because we've taken precautions. Yep. Show me a school that just let everything go business as usual, no masks and no, no limiting social distancing and things like that. And didn't have outbreaks because I bet you, you can't. Now I can't guarantee that, but I haven't seen any statistics of a school who are, who is functioning as was before the pandemic and aren't having outbreaks because we know from the CDC that kids can spread the virus and that kids can carry the virus and kids can get sick from the virus. If we were just, you know, classrooms open, everybody on campus, uh, no way to, to enforce social distancing in those scenarios. Um, I don't think you would be saying that it's not a hotspot. I think we would be seeing very, some, something very different. And there's evidence in that school sports that have not like, it's hard to maintain all the social distancing guidelines. If you're playing football, American football, mm-hmm. And we've had outbreaks with athletes. It's happening all over the place. Look at uh, this. If you want to just look at the fiasco of the NFL this past weekend, when multiple teams had to postpone or cancel games because they had too many players with COVID. I heard about that, man. So you can see that in the school setting, but we have taken precautions. So um, I I don't know that I agree or disagree with, with the film industry deciding to still film Spider-Man on these schools. I think it's stupid that anyone's conflating that it should be allowed to have in-class sessions because I don't think it's the same thing. I think the government deciding to protect their teachers and protect their students is not the same as letting a film studio film on campus. I can't even fathom how you're making that comparison. Um, the, another quote, in-person school is not only uh, is not only safe, it's necessary for learning. That's stupid because online education existed before COVID. And many people, including myself, have gotten degrees online. Can every person do it? No. No, they can't. Every person can't do online school. I completely agree with that because everybody doesn't learn the same way. Everybody is not driven the same way. And more importantly, everybody right now isn't only thinking about education because they're also mm-hmm. thinking about, am I going to get sick? What if my parents get sick? I have to babysit my younger brother. I have. They have a million things going on because of COVID. Maybe their parents are unemployed right now because of COVID they're probably not learning very well. And I think it's kind of ridiculous that we are still expecting people to do the same things that they were doing before the pandemic and act, try to expecting people to act like there isn't a pandemic and there isn't things going on. It's unrealistic. Will, will there be learning loss? Possibly. I, I can't, I don't understand where, like I've heard politicians say, Oh, we, we can't have more learning loss. Like we had from the end of last year. Where's your proof that there was learning loss? Because time was lost. There's inherent learning loss. We canceled all of our standardized testing. So there's no test scores to prove your your claims of learning loss. And to be realistic, tests are stupid anyways. That's a whole other thing. Point being, this is a subject that hits me very close. And it's frustrating for people who aren't in this profession 
to be acting like they are experts in how it works when they know probably nothing and why they're so desperate to get their kids out of their own houses because they can't tolerate and deal with them themselves. And I have no problem with my students. I love my students. And I think most of my students will vouch for it, um, that I, I give way more than I am required to give to my contract. Mm-hmm. Yet, I don't want to give my life. I didn't sign up to be a doctor. I didn't sign up to be around sick people. I signed up to help kids learn what they want to do with their lives and guide them into that direction. I hope that in four or five months, we have the vaccine everywhere and everyone's good and we can go back to the way things are. But until then, reevaluate yourselves, parents, please, because it's crazy to think that it should be anything different. Um, outrage over Spider-Man, absolutely ridiculous. As, as Unless they are putting kids in danger to film that movie. If they're like bringing kids on campus as extras who, you know, like normal students, like, well, we want it to look like a regular school. Then I have a problem with it, but that's not what I've just, I've read. That's not what I've seen. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be people who are paid to be there, who are making a choice to do this movie. Cause they don't have to, if Tom Holland decides tomorrow that he's not going to act until the pandemic's over, either they'll have to replace Holland, which would be a huge mistake mm-hmm. or he's going to choose to do the movie. That's his choice. And that's what I think it should be. So I don't know how, if you have anything to add to that, man. I'm sorry I went well, on a big, no, big soapbox. Dude, you're, the, you're the man to talk about this, obviously, being being in the profession. And firstly, I uh, well done for saying such um, precisely measured points um, and so well as well in covering all the bases there. Um, obviously, expecting a politician these days to provide evidence of, of claims is... It's uh, <laughs> asking a lot. Yeah. And... Let's, um, you know, from the outside, let's not lie about it. There are a lot of parents out there who send their kids to school because the teachers can deal with the kids, you know. They can deal with them. Let's not lie. There are a lot of people out there like that. Come at me. But And and, and we're seeing that in this pandemic. There's a lot of people who want the schools to remain open. Why? Well, you know, so, some have got working commitments, fine, but there are others who just... Who, who, just want the schools to remain open because it's another outlet. Like I say, for somebody else can help babysit their kids mm-hmm. for them. Now, people may not like the sound of that, but there is a, there is a pandemic out there. Uh, I've seen people and heard of people even over here in the UK and in the district I live in who are doing it, who are banging the drum because quite because quite frankly they want the, they want the peace and quiet. Which you know there are people like that out in the world, and if that's the case, you don't deserve to have kids. But I I agree with what you say, dude. So, and Sony, uh, let's face it as well, Sony have probably got a lot more money to, uh, and with the backing of Disney as well, they've probably got a bit more disposable cash to make sure that the COVID uh, restrictions are put into place rather than what the school board budgets are being given yeah. to keep the kids safe. So that was the other thing I was going to say. Well. You can't yeah, fault, that as well, man. You can't fault a school district for wanting to get some extra money when the government constantly cuts funding to the schools. And our, my specific state has threatened that if we didn't have open five days a week on like physical campus option for our students, mm-hmm. that they would start cutting our funding. And it's like, well, okay. Um, if you cut the funding of education, there won't be five it days a week at school. There so will be a lot of education. The, it's, it's a ridiculous thing. Education should be, and I know it's biased for a teacher to say this, but education should be number one funded thing because everything we want from our our future kids like we want them to be capable and if we are not giving them the opportunities to learn and grow and become better people 
it's not going to be better in the future. So it's, it's always a, a preposterous idea that education gets cut. But when we know that the budget is so low and a school gets offered a bunch of money from a, from a Hollywood studio, of course they're going to take it. Why, mm -hmm. especially to be fair, the buildings are just sitting there right now. Why wouldn't you take it? So, um, well, of course, yeah, but, and but I look, you're, a, you're, you're a parent. So am I, I, for me, getting the kids educated is the priority in life. Let's get them a good education. Let's set them on the best possible course for the rest of their lives. But in the, in the current state, at what cost does it, does that come? Do I want to put my daughter in any kind of danger? No. Absolutely not. I understand, though, why I, I know. And look, after going on a soapbox parade as well, I fully understand that people out there just want their kids to get back into education because of that reason. It's important. We all want the best for the youth out there to uh, because a, a better educated uh, generation will only help them in the future uh, and all that. We all want our kids to go to school, to go to college, to go to university. And but at the minute, we aren't living in that world. So we can't just like John said, you can't we can't surely expect to just be like, oh, no, yeah, we'll get we'll, we'll just pack 30 kids into a classroom and, you know, the schools can deal with it. It's not like that. And if Sony want to film, I mean, that's up entirely up to them. I from what I'm get, get to hearing and seeing, they've put all the precautions in place. I know over here in Pinewood and Shepparton, they are it's like it's unreal the amount of precautions they've got obviously with Jurassic World and all the other productions that have been going on and Bond when it was on. You know, and as soon as and as soon as there is a uh, an issue, everything's shut down. Everything's shut down. It doesn't matter how much these films are being made for. You know, they they're willing to put themselves out there, but at the first sign of any kind of danger, they'll shut down a two hundred fifty million dollar film because mm -hmm. it's the right thing to do. And I get that people want their children to go to school, but if they you know if guarantees can't be put in place, that is for the that is for the best. And there is an alternative, which, as Jay Beat has been saying, there is with this hybrid learning. Nobody's, yeah, it's it's not the one-to-one -one learning. It's not that social learning. It's not everything we've come to know about education, but it's something. It's better than closing the schools and saying, right, homeschool your kids or don't bother. You know, <laughs> let them roam free for the next six months. You know, it's, people need to, we, we all need to kind of, and I know this is asking a lot, but we all need to just, take stock of the options we have and maybe be grateful for what we have. And yeah, maybe it does look a bit like a, like, hold on, they're filming in a school, but we can't send our kids there. But it, it, like you said, it's not quite as cut and dry as the school are like, let's not let these kids in, but let's let these people in. It yeah. isn't, there's no Mac, there's no like schemes going on in the background. And I know politicians involved, but there is no, nothing like that. Especially when the politicians are all about trying to get the kids back into damn school. But yeah, I think I, I bow to your knowledge on this, man. But just from an outsider, I think just hearing the quotes as well is just just reading those quotes, man. Like in in person school is not only safe; it's necessary. What world does this person live in where their head is so far up their backside that they can't see what's going on around in the world? But um, yeah, that that's me done. But I, yeah, okay, I can get what I, on one hand I can see the outrage, but on the other hand we're not living in a normal world anymore. Yep. Yep. So, but what did right, you, and a, I was and a say, breath. Well, yeah, exactly. And what did you, uh, happen to see? Well, mine is slightly less <laughs> controversial and slightly less of a discussion point, but it caught my eye and it's that Peter Dinklage has been cast in the reboot of, uh, toxic Avenger as, and he's leading the cast. He is going to be playing Melvin Ford. 
And it's directed by uh, Macon Blair, who I know you're a fan of. Um, mm-hmm. And he directed I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, which I really dug. Another Netflix film. Uh, and he was also in uh, Green Room as well. But it's, the, it's Peter Dinklage leading, leading this reboot of a film, which I thought was absolutely horrific. Um, it is a classic underground film, a cult classic, the original Toxic Avenger. I don't think it's very good, but it's good to see that Peter Dinklage is um, still getting cast in these big roles. I mean, from Game of Thrones, a lot of the actors in Game of Thrones aren't. Let's be honest. I mean, a lot of the actors in Game of Thrones are either going to do smaller roles or they're either choosing not to take up big roles or they're just not getting cast. To be fair, to be honest, or they're choosing to marry a Jonas brother. But Peter Dinklage has been in, um, he was in Avengers Endgame, of course. He, I think we're alone now, which I wasn't a huge fan of. But it's good to see him uh, in the lead for the Toxic Avenger reboot, which I think in certain circles will get will generate some interest, uh, just to film itself. But have you, did you see the original Toxic Avenger and are you at all bothered about this reboot? Um, I'm not bothered by it. I, I was actually, as a kid, I, I liked them a lot. Um. There was an animated series of the Toxic Avenger when I was a kid, and I, I think I even had one of the action figures, if I'm not mistaken, of Toxic. Um, so I, 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 I want to say I'm a big fan, but at the same time, I only it was like a, a very small window of my life that I was a fan. Um, and as a like teenager, I remember watching a few other of the the trauma films um, on like one of the pay per view channels, not pay per view channels, but one of the uh, like, um, not HBO, but like the knockoff like m- movie channel or. Uh, this it predates stars, but whatever, like Cinemax or something. I had th- that, and I watched a few of the other t- um, trauma films. So I, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a fan. I, I like some of them. They definitely push the envelope. I am a mm-hmm. big Macon Blair fan, I, and I actually I like Peter Dinklage. Um, it, it's worthy to note he was in some movies before Game of Thrones. Uh, the Station Agent, for example, is a really great film that he's the lead in. Um, and uh, you know he's the villain in Underdog, and he's in a few other movies like that. Um. I, I like him and, uh, I'm a, but big seeing Macon Blair as the director and writer, I'm more on board than I was mm-hmm. seeing Dinklage as the, the replacement, um, or not the replacement as the reboot. Um, it is interesting because Toxic is a, a fairly big guy once he, um, gets transformed from like the, the, the regular guy into the Toxic manager. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know, um, how that's going to play a factor if they're going to make him like be, Dinklage's size the whole time or will like mm-hmm. Dinklage become like more monstrous uh when he becomes the toxic avenger so I am curious to see how they're going to play that but uh it's always it's got an air of humor about it and it's it's weird um if you're not familiar with trauma uh, they are a twisted set of movies um yeah. yeah and that's James Gunn started in trauma um with I think he did uh Tromeo and Juliet if I'm not mistaken mm-hmm. um you know and they had a uh I don't remember what the film was that, that they had at Fantasia Fest, but there was a new trauma film at Fantasia Fest that um, I believe Big Tuna was a big fan of, and it is another adaptation of a Shakespeare play, I think. Um, oh, uh, Shakespeare um, something storm. I shan't say the word. Yes, it was... Uh, or RPG rating. I forget what the um, the Shakespeare play was that it was based off of. I can't think of the one that's about the storm or whatever, but... Um, yeah, Tempest, Trump, probably Tempest. That's it. That is a hundred percent it. Um, it was a good guess. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, you know, I'm, I'll, I'm definitely going to watch it, especially because it's Blair. Uh, I don't think Blair's directed anything since, um, since no, he hasn't. No, the other film that you just mentioned that I can't. I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Right. 
Uh, I, I like that movie. Uh, that's mm. it's got Melanie Linsky and um, uh, Frodo. Elijah Wood. There it is. Uh, so Frodo. sometimes names don't come to me, but yeah, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm down. Let's let's check it out. Yep, sweet. It may be on a what 2021 2022 episode of the Bamp, and let's see if we're in, see if we're laughing then. But yeah. What an interesting, soft headline segment that was. But let's move on now to media consumption. It's our segment where we talk about the films, the TV shows, the video games, the podcasts that we're not involved in, that we've been listening to, uh, comics we've been reading, whatever we've done that's pop culture related to pass the time. And John, as I always say, you've always got a nice mix of um things you've been getting involved in so what have you been checking out man well so i was on thanksgiving break it needs to be said first because i watched a lot of stuff (laughs) um with uh like a lot of it was still on in the background while i was doing other things but i did i did watch quite a bit so um as per usual i listened to the blank check podcast um the polar express episode from sunday about as they continue the robert zemeckis uh slate and then on the patreon episodes uh they just dropped today i'm only about three quarters of the way through of the prometheus commentary Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm a big fan of the, uh, alien franchise, even the ones I don't like, I still kind of <laughs> love that they exist. Um, and I'm not a big fan of Prometheus. So I was excited because David Sims, who's one of the two hosts of the podcast ha- has been a defender of, um, Prometheus. So I was, I'm excited to kind of hear him, uh, give explanations as to why he thinks it's good. That kind of thing. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. think it's bad. I just, it wasn't what I was hoping for, for an alien Prequel. I enjoyed it the second. I watched it when it came out and wasn't overly enamored by it. I watched it about three, four months ago. I really quite enjoyed it. So it's, I don't know. It's, it's a strange film though. Yeah, I, I've seen it twice as well. And I think I liked it more the second time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I, oddly, I like Covenant a lot more than a lot of other people. Um, I don't think it's necessarily great. I just thought it was like a fun alien movie uh, yeah. by comparison to, and I do think it does some interesting stuff with, with the lore of the universe. Um, but nonetheless, uh, so I've been listening to those and then um, still listening to uh, the Adventure Zone podcast, working my way through that whole thing. Um, watched a lot of movies. I uh, watched My Octopus Teacher, which is a documentary about a dude who wants to do an octopus. Um, or at least that's what I got away from the movie. And when I say do an octopus, that's exactly what I mean. But we are a PG show, so I couldn't say the other word. Um, <laughs> uh, I watched The Impossible. That's the J.A. Bay- Bayona. Um, yeah, who is a good director except for Fallen Kingdom? Um, I didn't mind that film. I didn't hate it as much as other. I did have some problems with that film. Um, but The Impossible has uh, young Tom Holland and Ewan McGregor I, and Naomi Watts. I really, I don't, I can't say I enjoyed it because it is a stressful film, but it mm-hmm. is a very compelling film. Watched the new uh, Taylor Swift folklore uh, movie that dropped on Disney Plus last week. Um, her mm-hmm. performing at the Lake sh- something or whatever. I really. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. Um, Revolutionary Road, I watched for Movie Club, and we did our, our episode drop this past Saturday for that film. Um, that is uh, Sam Mendes, Kate Winslet, and Leo DiCaprio collaboration. Um, tough film. Uh, not an enjoyable film, in my opinion, but very well made. Um, Home for the Holidays is a classic Thanksgiving film for me to, to rewatch. I think it was my third time seeing it. Uh, have you ever seen Home for the Holidays? I have not seen that. Dude, uh, directed by Jodie Foster, has young Robert Downey Jr., Holly Hunter. Um, just just so great. It's such a great movie. Um, Dylan McDermott, I think, is uh, the the kind of romantic lead. Um, it's it's such a great movie. I, I Robert Downey Jr. cracks me up in that movie so much. Um, but I was kind of 
I usually watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade on Thanksgiving. That's a mm-hmm. tradition forever for me and my family. Uh, and this year they had a version of it, but it just wasn't the same because they had no people on the streets and it was weird. And um, I needed something that made me feel like it was more like Thanksgiving. So I watched Miracle on 34th Street uh, late yeah. in the evening, which starts on the Macy's Day Parade. Um, I watched the Hulu original Happiest Season, uh, a kind of controversial film from what I've been reading. Um, and for good reason, it is... Uh, um, Clea Duvall directs and wrote, uh, and it is a um, lesbian uh, rom-com Christmas movie, kind of. Um, there's a, a little less of the com, apparently, for some. I, I enjoyed the movie very much, but I read some really good articles today um, kind of addressing the issues with it. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the big things is it falls into a trope of the LBGTQ films of it being a uh, cl- coming out of the closet story. Um, and, or being put back into the closet story. And so, uh, reading articles from, from, um, critics who are in that community and them kind of saying why this story is not showcasing, um, enough like that. Every, every gay movie doesn't need to be about them coming out of the closet ultimately. Mm -hmm. And I, I saw their points, um, when I was reading it and, I, I definitely think that it might be a little problematic. I did enjoy the film though. Um, I, I thought the performances were really good in it, especially Kristen Stewart. Um, mm-hmm. I watched the documentary social dilemma. Definitely think that's worth watching. And then last night for this week's episode of movie club, I watched, I'm thinking of ending things, the new Charlie Kaufman written directed film that I enjoyed, uh, enjoy again. It's a strong word cause it is a tough movie, but, um, I, I just think he's he's pretty brilliant, and it's it's a challenging, tough movie. It's definitely not going to work for everybody, but I tend to really, really uh, click with him. And I, if you've seen his other films, especially Synecdoche, uh, New York, I think you will um, you're, you'll be familiar with his film language that he uses to convey story, and it will be easier to watch than if you've never seen his other films. But um, continue watching Titans on HBO Max. Um, almost yes, through with it. I cannot wait to be done with it. Uh, it is one of those shows where I don't think it's great, but I have to keep watching it. And then um, watched a few more episodes of the Animaniacs reboot on Hulu. <laughs> and finally, uh, to get to where we can transition to you, uh, watch the most recent episode of Mandalorian. What did you think, man? Well, uh, I am not, as I think we've said many times, I have not seen Rebels or Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. But I am I'm much more familiar with Ahsoka than I am with other things. Which, listeners, if you think that's a spoiler, it's not because she is literally in the first thirty seconds, and everyone is already talking about it. Like I literally woke up on Friday, looked at Instagram, and someone had already posted something about Ahsoka being in the episode. I'm like, well, yeah. uh, I guess we're not holding back on this one. Um, but I I liked it for sure. I think it's a really good episode. Um, I I have not been disappointed with an episode yet, to be honest. Um, but I, I did also, uh, I made more of an effort to watch this one and not do other things while watching it. So that probably helped a little bit, but I, I liked it a lot. What'd you think? Yeah, man, I, I enjoyed it. It wasn't my, it wasn't at the top of my list for this season, but um, I'm on record as saying, like you've just said, I'm, you know, I'm digging each one. They're all good in their own way. There's not one out of the five, which I think, do you know what? That, that was subpar. And I'm more than happy to put my hands up and say if one of them is awful. But so far, they haven't been. Whereas season one had a, a couple of, like, sort of dips here and there. This was, So far, this hasn't. Um, even the second episode of this season, which some people didn't drive with the, with the spiders, which I think was brilliant. Um, yeah, I liked it. And the, usually there's a... a um, 
the spoiler embargo, the unofficial spoiler embargo for the Mando is kind of set for the Monday after. So it comes out on a Friday. You've got all weekend to watch it, but then come Monday, it's a free for all. But yeah, this week was different, wasn't it? There was, it was everywhere. But to be fair, there's always going to be people who drop spoilers. But I don't go online until I've seen the episode, which well, luckily for me, I get up, um, get my daughter ready for school, get her to school and come back straight away. It's nine o'clock. The, the episode's only been out for an hour. So I don't, I haven't got to wait around all day to watch it. Uh, and then I watch it and then I'll go online and see how much, uh, how much the Star Wars fans hate it. But so far they haven't done, but I enjoyed it, mate. It had some good action in it. Very cool. Western influences, very cool. Eastern influence, like the Samurai uh, influences were everywhere. It was wonderful to see Ahsoka Tano, in live action with Dar- Rosario Dawson as a queen. Uh, we've got a name for Baby Yoda as well. What did you think of that, John? Um, I it, It's fine. It's one of those things <laughs> where I think uh, a season and a half, uh, there's a lot of like anticipation for that reveal. And I don't know that you could ever live up to any... like. I, I To be fair, I guess I didn't have like an idea of what the name could be. But still, like it felt a little underwhelming when you hear it. it's like, oh, that's it. And it was also kind of thrown out as though it wasn't a big deal, probably on purpose to like, yeah, we probably should have given it a name ages ago, but we've let you call it Baby Yoda for a year and a half. So mm-hmm. um, or a year. But uh, it was fine. It's fine. I don't I, it's kind of forgettable, to be honest. I keep forgetting what it is. That's it. I think it also shows that us fans probably put more importance in these things than the writers do. And I say that knowing that John Favreau and Dave Filoni have poured every ounce of their Star Wars love and passion into this. But I think I think they kind of led us on a bit of a. Obviously, they led us in a little bit of a breadcrumb trace. So like we're not going to tell you the name just yet. But I think when when they delivered like, like that, I think it's also their way of saying you know not everything's so important. Like in the Force Awakens when Snoke just drops oh casually oh by the way. Uh, Han Solo's Kylo Ren's dad. Anyway, moving on. I loved how they did that. It's like, we don't need a big reveal. Just get it out there, to be honest. Don't make a big deal of it. Just get it out there and move on with the story. Yeah, the first time I heard it, I was a bit like, oh, Grogu. It doesn't really roll off the tongue. But now, now I, it sticks. And again, Minipa, she calls him Grogu now, to a point. Uh, so she's aware of Grogu and doesn't, doesn't dislike the name. So if the kids like it, I've got no excuse for not liking it, but no, I liked it, man. I'm I'm interested to see where we go now. We've got three episodes left. I'm I'm guessing the final two are going to be a kind of a double header again, like last season, where we end on a cliffhanger and pick up again. So I'm thinking this one that drops tomorrow is going to be uh, a transitional episode. Maybe Mando has to go and get some more repairs done, and then do another side quest before going to his destination. To see where Baby Yoda's direction in this story is going to go, but no, I, I thought it was okay, and um, I'm, uh, maybe next week we'll finally find what we thought was a bit rubbish. But touch would be don't. But I'm glad to hear you enjoyed it, man. My um, my consumption's a lot shorter than yours. I haven't had Thanksgiving break, and I haven't had my face in pumpkin pie all weekend, which is a real shame for me. <laughs> um, I've watched three films: one with a Christmas flavour, and two without. Well, I watched Gremlins. Speaking of Chris Columbus, I watched Gremlins and uh, I that film used to scare the hell out of me as a child. Oh. Literally was like my biggest fear as a kid. It's a bit at the end when the narrator says, you know, before you go to bed tonight, check under your bed and, you know, check in your closet because there might just be a gremlin in there. And that always scared me. Like to, I, I, I could sleepless nights about that. But um, now I dig that film. I really like Gremlins. It gets a horror comedy just right. And it does make me feel Christmassy, even though it's a film about well, killer monsters. Um, I watched Eden Lake, 
which is kind of like the, an- the complete antithesis, which is a, for those who haven't seen it, it's a British horror from about 10 years ago. It stars uh, Michael Fassbender in it. Oh. And it's brutal. It's brutal. Basically, uh, a couple go to a retreat. They go to the woodlands, basically, to kind of have a, a quiet weekend together and, you know, do stuff that couples do on a quiet weekend. But their peace is disturbed by a bunch of uh, chavs, as we call them over here, which was all the rage at the time. It's basically undisciplined teenagers who just, you know, who want to cause trouble. Agents of chaos. But it was at the time when, like, the hoodie culture was a thing in the United Kingdom, when towns were being overrun by youngsters in hoodies, smashing things up, beating people up, sadly also stabbing people. Uh, And this film really plays on that. Uh, James Watkins' Mm. director really plays on that fear. And it is a real brutal... It's not an enjoyable film. My friend Ant, who I do the NPM podcast with, watched it. And he said, you know what? I, I liked the film, but at the same time, I hated it because I just didn't feel nice watching it. And... Eden Lake is a film like that. Michael Fassbender is very good in it uh, alongside um, Kelly Riley. But Eden Lake, if you like horror films that pack a punch, then Eden Lake is for you. But do uh, beware that it's not the most enjoyable film to watch. And uh, on the final film I watched, like I said, it's only been a short one for me, was uh, Whiplash. Damien Chazelle, I went back to watch that. You know how much I love La La Land. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to watch the film that came before it because there's always that debate, which is better. And a lot of people do prefer Whiplash, and I can see why. But Because uh, Whiplash is, inc- again, speaking of brutal films that make you feel a bit, they make you feel as knackered as you would after a full set on drums. Whiplash is that. It's a complete roller coaster of a film. If you've already seen the film, you know just how, what, what a performance J.K. Simmons gives. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miles Teller's de- very good as well, of course, but when you're in a film with an absolute tornado of a performance like J.K. Simmons, you're going to get overshadowed. But no, I, I really dig uh, Whiplash. I love Damien Chazelle's work, even F- First Man, which you know I wasn't the biggest fan of, but I like elements of it. It's elements of it I really like. Um, but I really do enjoy Damien Chazelle uh, and his catalogue and obviously his... Uh, collaborations with Justin Hurwitz as well. He's uh, c- providing the music. But I like Whiplash. Were you a fan of Whiplash, man? Oh, yeah, big time. I love yeah. Whiplash. I seem, to, I, I seem to remember you saying you did. You, you preferred it to La La Land, didn't you? Um, I actually think I prefer La La Land um, because oh, La La Land's like, more enjoyable. Because like, mm-hmm. Whiplash has a much... like They both have a kind of a down ending, I guess you could say, but like Whiplash is like way more harsh of a movie and yeah. but it, it's you know they're very different vibes but i they're obviously you know companion pieces at the same time but yeah i i, I enjoy both yeah it's not quite as whimsical is it <laughs> whiplash is not a word i'd use to describe it but other than that man yeah just watching the soccer watching the football that's been on watching my team capitulate against manchester united um but it's been a bit it's been a busier weekend and uh, but we'll get into that shortly. But that's what we've been consuming. Let us know what you thought about everything that John consumed in the three films that I've been checking out. And obviously The Mandalorian. What are, you th- what are your thoughts on that? Because so far, me and John uh, are enjoying it quite a lot. And I mean, on that, we're talking about being busy. We're always busy. Not with work, not with life, but staying bloody awesome. It's tough. It's very, very hard. We, we, you know, when you get to the zenith like we have, you know, the only way is down unless you really work hard to maintain these levels of bloody awesomeness. So it takes an awful lot. Sometimes they come in strange ways. Sometimes it comes in the most inspired ways. But 
we've always we're always doing it to give you guys the best experience on the BAMP. So JB, how have you been staying bloody awesome this week? Well, uh, last week was the big shopping, you know, time of the year, Black Friday and Cyber yes. Monday and all that. Um, so my goal for Christmas shopping this year is to try to buy more stuff from small businesses instead of the big box stores and or nice. our online juggernaut of Amazon. And I, I will admit it's hard because Amazon offers me, uh, you know, to, I have Prime because of, I actually have Prime more for the uh, movie subscription stuff. But <laughs> yeah. I do like the free shipping. Um, and so I often order things from there, uh, you know, discounted items and whatnot. But um, so for my Christmas shopping, my goal is especially I have um, a local card shop that I uh, spend a lot of time in when it's especially pre COVID. Um, I've spent some time in since since COVID because uh, he's he's following CDC guidelines and he has rules in place about masks and stuff that I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just uh, traded in some comic books to him to uh, like to help. Uh, I mean, it helps me because I get some store credit, but it also he's now going to resell them at a higher value because he's really built up his shop. He's just moved into a bigger location. Uh, so I'm planning on trying to buy as many Christmas presents from that specific shop as possible for my friends and stuff. Um, cause he has like memorabilia stuff too, you know, cause it's comic books, it's anything yeah. nerdy basically. Um, so that's what I'm hoping to do. And any other, like uh, if I can find a small business that has stuff that I think is, uh, my friends would appreciate, I'm going to try to do shopping from there just to help out. Cause we know, um, the big box stores are doing fine right now. In fact, I think some of them are reporting like huge sale, like increases and stuff. Um, but the small businesses have been struggling, uh, especially, you know, if they've had to shut down for any extended period of time. So I encourage everyone, uh, if you have the ability to help shop at a local store, and some of those are online too. So keep that in mind. Um, you might have to pay a little for shipping or whatever. They're not Amazon. They don't have the free two day shipping. Um, or one day shipping even that Amazon offers in some places. But I think it's, it's at a time, um, if your area has been hurt because of COVID, uh, if you can buy, if you are buying presents because you have the means still to do so, I'd say shop at a small business if possible. Oh, I echo that man. And that's a very good way of saying bloody awesome. Uh, yeah, shops, shop independent. Keep that, keep the high street going, as we say over here. Keep the smaller retailers going. Amazon's always going to be there. Amazon ain't going bust anytime soon. But like you say, those smaller independent chains and retailers will. And the, the, they're who, they are the people who COVID has hit the hardest. Not Jeff Bezos and Amazon and all these people. Like you say, very, very, um, convenient. I use Amazon quite a lot because of that same day shipping or next day shipping. Um, but, that's a very good way of saying bloody awesome. Very responsible, JB. And I dip my cap to you once more, my friend. <laughs> Yours is slightly more responsible than mine. Mine is um, we're being busy, but mine's more uh, coming out of the coming out of the comfort zone for me. Is I do podcasts or not? Uh, thanks to John who got me into the whole thing in the first place. I do a few, uh, but they're all like this. It's just voice because I don't know. It's just it's easier, isn't it, to do that? And I haven't got to then try and. Uh, divert my gaze straight down the lens of a camera but that's what i did this weekend um myself and my uh, co-host luke on the star wars sessions we were invited on to jamie stangram's uh friend of the show he's a bit we're a big fan of jamie his youtube channel the geek end uh, he's also british so we're trying to shout out to british collaborations there uh to talk about the mandalorian uh episode five season two and it was our first time going on camera to talk about what to talk anything that those star wars and i'm not sure i've been on camera once to do a a trivia show for my friend ashley uh one one lost one 
uh, lost two, in fact. So I'm not I'm not used to going on camera, and it's not something I've always been a massive fan on, to be honest. Because again, it's like, what do you do with your eyes? If you've got to stare at the screen, like whilst I've been recording this, I'm kind of as you do, sort of listening and looking around and just sort of taking in what's going on. But I couldn't do that. So coming out of my comfort zone and doing that, and that was wonderful. We had a good time of that, good laugh. And then the next day on Sunday, I'm sitting there, I'm drinking my coffee, get a text message, a literal text message through. I don't know people who send SMS text messages anymore, but but the guys at the BBC do. The If you don't know that, it's like the flagship uh, television network, I guess, in the UK, one of the biggest in the world. Sent us a text message asking us to go on and talk about the very sad passing of David Prowse the man behind the mask if Darth Vader, certainly in the first two two films and three quarters. Um, so we had like about an hour or so's worth of prep before we went live to the nation and globally to talk for three or four minutes to talk about, obviously pay tribute to Dave Prowse. But kind of made me kind of think, you know what, If I, I, I did it twice in two days, one without realising it, without knowing about it. And it gave, gave me a bit, a bit more of a confidence boost to maybe one day do it a bit more. But it was just kind of stepping out of the, com- the comfort zone. Obviously, it was a lot of fun doing it and slightly nerve-wracking the second time, um, especially because I had to uncomfortably sit on my... Uh, I was on my knees the whole time because it was really gloomy in the United Kingdom. And the only place I could get any light was if I put my laptop on the windowsill, so like staring out the window, so that light would just hit me. And but the whole time, I'm on my knees and you can... Just about seeing my eyes, the burning pain of my legs, just desperate to move, but I couldn't move. I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to move. They said you've got to stay still, and I was. My legs are just absolutely burning in pain. But um, yeah, I, so it's a great experience. But the message there from, was coming out of the comfort zone, and I really do. Uh, people always say, you know, try new things, and I'm one of those people who thinks, yeah, but oh, I don't know what happens if I, you know, make a mistake or nose it up. But having done it. I recommend it to everyone. If you give an opportunity to present yourself, do it because I now feel good about the chances of doing it again. And I'm like, I want to do it all the time now. I love it. Even if I did come across a bit goonish, but um, <laughs> yeah, so coming out of your comfort zone but for me was putting my face on camera, which I don't mind putting uh, for like for the astrology graphics. I don't mind putting like a still image out, but never, you've never been one for video, but I quite enjoyed it. Are you a fan of uh, video calling and video face to face? things uh, that, uh, camera to camera thing you know no um i'm a lot of the things you said are fears of my own but i've had to uh i've been on more zoom calls uh in the last six months than i've ever used video conferencing um because i now teach to that um and it's it's an it's crazy because i am i am an introvert by default and Mm -hmm. uh i come i have personas like this one for the podcast and i have a teaching persona that i just get over it i'm past the introvertedness I still, every single Zoom call, there's a level that's just like of dread. Um, my biggest fear is forgetting that I'm on a video and like, you know, going to scratch my nose or let's be real. Sometimes you get a boogie, you got to get it out. You know, like that. <laughs> we forget, have wind sometimes. Right. Yeah. Like that, that fear of like doing something dumb on camera. Um, uh, but yeah, no, like I never used FaceTime. Um, I, I Skyped even when we would Skype to like when we first started recording the podcast, everything was Skype. Um, and we almost never used video for Skype. Like uh, when we were doing the top five podcast, we would Skype with Corey, um, but we'd all have our video off. We would just be voice calling. So like we've, I've always kind of avoided it. And uh, yeah, even um, I teach, you know, video production and stuff. I am behind the camera. I do not go in front of the camera very often. So uh, I totally feel what you're saying. And at the same time, good for you for uh, stepping out and doing it, man. Yeah, and thank also, you, man. It was 
it was good fun to do, and I recommend it to anyone. Not necessarily that, but just just sometimes doing things outside of your wheelhouse because, um, like you say, it can give you that extra confidence to take on the. I felt like Leo in Titanic. I'm the king of the world for a few minutes. Yeah. Uh, I felt I felt like a real king. So, uh, John, next week's episode of the Bamp will be a video episode. So I'm just putting that out there for you now. Um, it won't be a video episode, guys. No. Um, but for next week's episode, we are going to be reviewing. Uh, a film which has gotten a lot of interest, mainly because of its director, and also it's very, very good cast. But for next week, we're going to be discussing Mank, by D- the new film from David Fincher, which again is coming out on Netflix. But that's going to be an interesting discussion, isn't it? I'm looking. I'm, I'm a big Fincher fan, and I, I know you are too. Oh yeah, big time. Um, I, I don't, I don't know what my least favorite film of his is. Probably Panic Room. That's the one that like. I didn't have a big draw for it. It's not that I'm, I'm not saying I don't like it, but yeah, big fan and very excited to check out Mink. Yep. I mean, whatever I'm hearing about it, I don't care. It's David Fincher. I mean, I mean, I'm always going to give that man the benefit of the doubt, but that is that for this episode of the BAMP. If you want to find us online, you can do at Twitter, go to at BAMP underscore podcast, B A M P underscore podcast. Uh, John, where are we in Instagram? We are at Bloody Awesome Movie Pod. Yep. Facebook, just search Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. You'll find us on there. And if you want to find me online, you can at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk and then search What I Watch Tonight across uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd as well. And you can find me on there. Uh, John, where can the world see and hear you? BurkeReviews.com for all, uh, the reviews that I currently am not writing and eventually maybe will again. Um, but that's where we host this podcast and Movie Club. Um, and then on social media, you can find me at Burke Reviews on anything, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, etc. Yep, go check it out. If you have a spare 30 seconds as well, please do consider rate and reviewing the BAMP on your podcast provider of choice. A five-star racing really does help us move up the algorithm. It gets more people listening, which means we get to engage with more people. And as film fans, that's really what we're here for. We want to hear as many different opinions as possible on the films we're talking about. So if you do have a spare 30 seconds, we would really appreciate if you'd consider leaving us that good review. But with that, as always, stay bloody awesome and keep watching movies.